listening to the Arsenal Ramble. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Ramble. Today we're going to be talking about the big 3-1 win against Chelsea. Not even big, vital 3-1 win against Chelsea. To talk through the game, I'm joined as ever by my co-rambler Dom. How are you, mate? Did you enjoy that one? Yeah, yeah, I actually really enjoyed that one. Um bit of a strange feeling though before the game I actually wasn't too excited to even watch it I I kind of I messaged you before the game saying that after the last few performances that we'd had I just felt deflated and it just felt like I wasn't really that excited to watch a game of football which is almost alien to me with uh, how well we've been playing this season and how up for every game I've been but um, yeah I wasn't really too excited for this one but then Jesus they uh, put a good performance for us and it really got me going again how about you? Yeah I was a bit the same to be honest a bit yeah deflated probably the word I wasn't as up for it as as we normally would be with a, a London derby um, so yeah I just sort of my expectations were a little bit all over the place I didn't know what to expect um, on paper we should be annihilating this Chelsea team they're in a really bad rut um, and but on the, on the other side of the coin we're not playing too great ourselves with dropping points in the last four games so it was a you know, it was a hard one to really decipher. Um, so I didn't know what we was going to get. And, and that kind of left it, like you say, a little bit deflated. But pleasantly surprised, I should say. Um, thought we um, absolutely dominated, especially in that first half. Oh, yeah. Yeah, completely agree. Um, and as you say, on paper, we should have absolutely battered this Chelsea team. But on paper, we should have done that to Southampton. We should have done that to West Ham and probably to mm-hmm. Liverpool as well, because they've not been the same team that they are, they were last year and the, the years that preceded that. So, yeah, on paper, we should have been smashing this Chelsea team. But you've still got to turn up and you've still got to perform. And uh create chances and put chances away and uh, luckily we actually ended up doing that and the first half was as dominant as I've seen us really um, yeah. in fact I don't even think it was all our dominance really was it it was more of a us being clinical and Chelsea just being woeful really you can understand why Chelsea are in the position that they're they're in really with with defensive errors and how weak they are in midfield and things like that they're just they're just not a great team. They're a team of individuals, aren't they? Rather than a, a, co- a cohesive team that actually works together, um, which is great to see them crumbling and great to see how much money they've invested in their team for us to just turn up and completely play them off the park. Yeah, and I like what the um, the commentator said as well the, during the game um, with regards to the fact that it just goes to show that you can't just throw a load of money at a football team and expect results. It it just doesn't quite work like that. Um, so it's it's good to see that, that that is the case and you do need to have other elements to become a successful football team. Um, so yeah, that, that was pleasing to see. Uh, but whilst we're talking about on paper, let's let's go through the, the team sheets um, because there were some notable changes. Uh, there was three in particular um, that sort of stood out and that was um, Jorginho, Jorginho, Kivior and Trossard uh, in for Partey, Holding, and Martinelli. Now, a lot of a lot of Arsenal fans have been calling out for Trossard to start in, in recent weeks. So I was really pleased to see this one. Um, 
I think we said it in the previous podcast how whenever he started games, we've played much better. And that's no disrespect on Martinelli because he's actually been brilliant. Um, it's just sort of one of those situations where they're both in the same position. Um, yes, Trossard has played as, as that false nine. Um, so that is a, another option. But I do feel like he's most effective out on the left. So that was a, a change that we were both hoping for, uh, that we were both discussed in the last podcast. So I was, I was very pleased to see that. Um, but Jorginho and um, for Partey and Kivior for Holden. Now, they're interesting ones. What did you think to those two? Yeah, so uh, I think the Jorginho for Partey and the Kivior for Holding changes, I think they were both necessary changes because we needed to do something different. Whatever we were doing, it wasn't working. And that was the area of the pitch where we were the, the most weak in the last few in the last few games, where we Partey was becoming quite sloppy, giving a lot of chances away and holding he was getting exposed really because what you want from Thomas Partey is to be protecting Rob Holding because that is our our weakness, our weak link of that defence. And when both of them aren't performing well, then that's just a recipe for disaster, isn't it? So I think we needed changes in both of those areas. And Jorginho, as we've seen since we, we bought him in January, has been an adequate deputy for Partey. Um, uh, arguably, sometimes he's performed better than Partey as well. Um, and also Kivior, we've had quite a small sample size of him so far. We've not really seen much of him at all. Um, I think we, we saw a little bit of him in the Europa League, which we ended up losing. And then he came on at Anfield when... To be fair to him, it was uh, it was a bit of a hectic game, a, a crazy game state for him to even come into, uh, and also an adjusted shape as well. So it might be a bit unfair to say how lacklustre he looked in that game, um, but he did. It seemed to me to be quite chaotic when he came on the pitch. He he lunged into I think it was Diego Jota straight away, and then Nunez had a had a chance pretty much instantly off the back of Kivior making a mistake. So, so my uh, my initial view of Kivior for starting this game, I thought, oh, he's he's a bit he's got a mistake in his locker. He could be potentially another Mustafi and all this. But that's me being a bit unfair because I've only seen a couple of couple of instances of him actually being in the Arsenal first eleven. Um, so, yeah, I was, I, was, I was happy to see him get a start more because of holding underperforming rather than me being excited to see Kivior. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Um, the Trossard one as well, I think... That was the only change which, you know, it, it it was more for fresh legs, in my opinion. I think Trossard, just a bit of rotation, change up the front three a little bit. Um, I think you can swap him in and out for any of the front three, really, if we need to, if we need a bit of rotation. So I don't think it's any slight on Martinelli. There's not really any case of him underperforming. He's been one of our best players, but yeah, just, just a bit of fresh legs. Yeah, I completely agree. And going back to the the Kivior one as well, we had to try something, didn't we? Because it, it clearly wasn't working with Holden. We've been so much worse with with him in the team. And it isn't just that. It's also he's making big individual errors as well. Um, and even against a, a really underperforming Chelsea, that can cost you. Um, it can cost you in any game in the Premier League. So I'm glad that we... Um, 
that we went with this one. Um, a lot of people were saying, oh, it's two left-footed centre-backs. Um, it's a bit unorthodox. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've seen plenty of, of good partnerships in the past where they're both right-footed, for example. So it doesn't necessarily mean it can't work. Um and based on the on the performance as a whole, I know I'm skipping a, a few chapters ahead, but I think um, I think it, it really showed me oh, what what could have happened if we'd have gone with this partnership as opposed to Rob Holden in these last four games because he he did look a lot more calm, a lot more composed. His passing ability was better. Um, he just had a, an aura of calmness around him which I know is, is quite alien because we when in the Anfield game it was the exact opposite but like you said it was it was a, a it was the environment he was thrown into um I think giving him a, a starting position he, he showed much more calmness on the ball and yeah I think that ultimately is is what we've been needing at the back it just it just transpires to the rest of the team and, and just allows us to play our game a little bit more and not be on these tender hooks throughout the game and, and and that's what we did in the first half we we just scored a goal then we then we kept pushing for the second pushed for the third we could have had four or five at times we didn't think oh we're 2-0 up and then it gets to 2-1 and it's squeaky bum time like we've seen against West Ham and we've seen against Southampton um, so yeah, that that is a, a brilliant um, tactical decision from Arteta and one we've been crying out for for a while. And I think he's thoroughly deserving of a place against Newcastle in the game coming up. So, yeah, I'm really, really happy with this one. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good account of this game, to be honest, um, Kivio, because we were all eagle eye on him when when uh, when the game kicked off, just to see how we would perform in in uh, comparison to how Holding played in the last couple of games. And um, to be fair, I think when the first couple of balls came his way, I think most notably one moment he tried to clear the ball with his right foot. You do really notice how when a player is left footed they are really left footed and they're not they're not very good with the right foot however when a player is right footed usually when they're a kid they're they're told to to learn to use their left foot whereas a left footed player when they're a kid they're told to embrace their left footedness almost so you could tell when he tried to clear a ball with his right foot and it just went went out to um uh, one of the Chelsea players in midfield that there, there was no real direction on that so I think that is one place where we might become unstuck uh, on that on that right side of centre half um, however a lot of his progressive play was with his left foot and, and uh, made some great passes and he, he really did set the tempo and that's something that Rob Holding lacks he gets the ball he then puts his foot on the ball and then he gets his head up and looks where do I need to go Whereas Kivior, he was on the move the whole time and is making those progressive passes. And uh, yeah, he seemed quite calm and composed, didn't he? And he's he's got a bit of pace to him as well, a bit of aerial ability at clearing the ball away. Um, really positive things from him. And uh, I was quite happy to see his uh, full, proper debut in the, in the Premier League. Um mm. But yeah, should we should we get into the uh, first half then and get into the the first uh, lovely goal that we scored? Yeah, let's do that. It was uh, the 18th minute. Um, utter dominance up until that point, really. Um, controlling the game really, really well. Um, but it was an absolute beautiful finish from Odegaard, wasn't it? 
thumped him from the edge of the box off the underside of the bar. I think Kepa got a little touch onto it, but it was it had too much power onto it. He couldn't tip it over. Um, but also, what a lovely little pick out from, from uh, Granite Xhaka as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. This has come at a time, eighteen minutes in, where we, apart from the kickoff, pretty much we'd had complete domination of the ball. We we were playing them off the park, and we were, you know, intricate passing, and uh, we just worked it down the left, and we came out to Granite Xhaka, and he just he picks his man out. He he gets his head up. He sees the Odegaard's pulling back, picks him out, and then Odegaard he just. You see in slow motion when the ball's coming to Odegaard, he he has to like adjust his stride a little bit so that he can actually hit this cleanly. Um, and it's really clever play. And um, yeah, it gets a clean strike on it. And it just looks so beautiful when a ball goes in from the underside of the crossbar and then it fizzes down, bounces off the line. It just, it almost reminds you of like a FIFA goal, you know, when you, you score and then it just thunders in off the crossbar. It's absolutely beautiful. And then 1-0 up, the pressure's off. And yeah, I'm celebrating. Exactly, yeah, and 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 as I alluded to earlier, it was it was the sort of goal where we were deserving of it. Now it's time to keep that authority, keep that possession, keep control of the game. We're at home, um, and we essentially did that. We did allow a, a, a little chance for. Well, it wasn't a little chance; it was a big chance actually. Um, for Chilwell, uh, he sort of stormed down the left-hand side. Um, I think Saka tried to to intercept it, but just sort of got his bit muddled up with his feet. And Chilwell goes through on goal and fires one to the top right corner. Um, Ramsdale saves pretty well, though. Um, that was a you'd have to say a, a very good save from Ramsdale, wasn't it? Yeah, um, Chilwell he gets in quite cheaply really quite easily um just one ball over the top wasn't it and um i think you'd expect saka to maybe deal with this but as you say he got mixed up with his feet you just see him spin around do a 360 and fall over and then chillwell's in uh, in on goal and um i think there's a lot of power in the shot but i do think that chill probably should have kept this low and uh, gone for the corner a little bit more gone for placement mm. and kept it low but it was good height for ramsdale and it wasn't quite in the corner but still hit with a lot of power and uh, great save from him to 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 get it wide of the post as well when it when it's hit you with that much force um but yeah when it's when you when you're dominating a game and you go one nil up if you just have that one opportunity against you, that's all they needed. Um, for example, in the Southampton game, that's all they needed to get back on level terms. So for Ramsdale to, to keep that ball out and keep it as uh, keepers in the lead, it, it's just so important. It's just as good as, as scoring at the other end, isn't it? So, mm. yeah, a, a massive moment. Yeah, I was just about to say that. I think he deserves more credit than he'll probably get because, like you say, if that goes to 1-1, and, you know, we're dominating the game and it's sort of just, it takes the wind out of your sails a little bit, doesn't it? Um, and, you know, a sucker punch goal like that can sort of affect the game more than you would probably think it would. So, like you say, it was it was worthy of, of a goal um, just to keep that at 1-0. And then we can keep maintaining our pressure on the game. And that's exactly what we did. We, we, you know, we maintained that pressure up until the 31st minute when Odegaard managed to to get his second of the game. And I think you messaged me 
copy and paste uh, because it was very, very similar to the the first goal, almost a, a carbon copy. Um, just probably not quite as a, as a spectacular finish, but um, Jacker with the pick out yet again. Odegaard totally unmarked. I think he just bamboozled Sterling um, on the edge of the box by sort of faking a run and then, and then just sort of dropping back into the space um, and just slotted home again. A brilliant finish. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Ultimately, um, Odegaard ended up, ended up getting the man of the match for this performance today. Um, but I do want to give an honourable mention to Granit Xhaka because in the first half, he was absolutely everywhere on the pitch. He was making runs in behind. He was getting out wide and putting those crosses in for those two assists that he got. Um, and he was he was all over the pitch. Um, so brilliant performance from Xhaka, especially after he's been out of the team and Vieira's been there. It just shows you the difference between a player like Vieira and Xhaka, how Xhaka, even though he's not quite got the the qualities to be... To, to, he doesn't really have what it takes to be making those runs, but he's still doing it and he's still robust enough to be able to get there and intelligent enough to actually be creating those opportunities or even just making space for other players, getting out to the left-hand side, opening up for Trossard to then cut inside and then they've got a little triangle, um, one-two around the uh, around the right back and then all of a sudden Jack has got a free cross in. This is the sort of things, these are the sort of things that Vieira wasn't doing when he was playing. Um, and it's just football intelligence from Granit Xhaka at the end of the day. Um, and football intelligence got us 2-0 up in this game. So it just shows you um, how important he is and how integral he was in this game. Um, but yeah, cut and paste, copy and paste goal. Xhaka to Odegaard, beautiful finish. And yeah, 2-0 up. Uh, I messaged you as well at this point saying, this is a dangerous lead if I've ever seen one because <laughs> we're so used to being 2-0 up now and then just panicking. So what I really wanted to see from this Arsenal team was the next 10 minutes of us not conceding, not not even conceding any chances. I, I, I just wanted a bit of calmness. Hmm. Well, you must have been pleased then because less than three minutes later... We go and score, not even concede. We score again. Jesus this time um, finishes close range after a bit of a scramble at the back post. We were just rampant, weren't we? Like like you were saying, we were rampant. They were a shambles, you would probably say. Um, I think they had four or five or six men on the floor just watching because they didn't know what to do. Um, I think we had the, the fans chanting... Are you Tottenham in disguise at this point? It was just, <laughs> it was just hilarious. Um, but I, I'm, I'm glad for Jesus. I said to my partner before the match that I really wanted Jesus to get onto the um, the score sheet. And not only do I want him to get on the score sheet, I wanted him to get like a a real good goal, one that he sort of created. I didn't really get that because of the you know the scrambling nature of it. But I'm still glad that he got on the score sheet because. He had a tough game against City, um, one that I expected a lot more from him in. We didn't really get that, so I was hoping that you know th- this sort of game can can reignite him again, and we can get uh, you know a fully firing pre World Cup Jesus for this final run in. <laughs> Yeah, that's the only problem with Jesus as well, is he is susceptible to a goal drought. Um, so when when he's gone a couple of games without scoring, you want to make sure that he gets back onto the score sheet and he gets back firing. But um, yeah, I do think this third goal, as is, is great as Arsenal were this first half and as, as fantastic as we build up and... Uh, um, 
we're, we're clinical with our opportunities that were given to us. Chelsea were dreadful in in this moment, you know. Three, as you say, three players on the floor, and it is literally like schoolyard football. They're 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 on the floor and they're scrambling round, just kicking their legs out, trying to stop the ball from going into the net. It was kind of comical to watch, and then you just see the ball pop out to Jesus, and then buries at home, and um, yeah, three nil cruising, and uh, everybody's been incredible this first half. Um, you know, Granit Xhaka. Odegaard's been great, got two goals, Jesus has scored. You're thinking, well, we're in dreamland really, aren't we? Um, the only thing that I would say um, is I started to see Gabriel holding his hamstring. Now, that is the one thing that got me panicking a little bit um, because from then on, as we did see during the game, um, he was constantly going down, he was moaning, saying he felt injured. Um, mm. Is this a real worry for you now? Well, it is a worry, yeah, because we're going to be in the dark now until this Newcastle game because Arteta isn't going to going to tell anyone. So we won't know whether he is fully fit until the weekend on, on Sunday um, and hamstring injuries they're, they're you don't recover from them quick we saw in the City game with with Nathan Ake he got one maybe two weeks prior to the game and we were all rubbing our hands thinking oh well that's one of their informed players out because he's got a hamstring injury That this could now be happening to one of our players so um, I'm hoping it, it's maybe not as, as serious as, as it looked but um he was holding the hamstring, wasn't he? Um, so uh, it could be yeah, a couple of weeks out. And if it were to be, then then that's Rob holding back in the team with Kivior, who hasn't, you know, isn't the most experienced in the Premier League. So that would then become a little bit tricky uh, and and sort of a, a back line that doesn't fill you with massive amounts of confidence. So. Yeah, it does concern me, but um, hopefully we get some some good news this week and it isn't as serious as as we fear. Yeah, yeah, that's something that I was going to say as well because obviously you said earlier that you'd be having Kivior in your in your team for the starting eleven against Newcastle, but we might not have a choice if if Gabriel's injured, we might have to play him and have to play holding, and um, that does strike me as quite a frightful. Um, outfit to have performing for us just because we're, we've got two players who have never really played together before apart from a woeful last 25 minutes at Anfield um, holding who's been in bad form and Kivior prior to this game's not been in great form so yeah that that is quite worrying if, if Gabriel does actually end up being injured um, mm. also you know I think if that, that, if that does happen then We've we've just got a roll with it, haven't we? Because we haven't got any choice. Um, it was interesting to see how Kivior did play well on the right, though. And then when Holding came on today, he then went to the left. And I actually feel like mm. he performed better when he was on the right. I don't know if that's just because he had Gabriel there instead of Holding as his partner. But subconsciously for me, he looked like a, a better defender when he was on the right-hand side. Did you notice yeah. that at all? or? I- 
I didn't notice that actually, but now you're saying it, yeah, that that is quite odd that we've got a left footed centre back on the right and, and and vice versa with with holding it. You'd think they'd just swap back into their natural position. So yeah, I didn't notice that in the game, but it is a good point. That is odd. But maybe I guess, you know, it played the majority of the game. I think Holding came on in what, the eighty fifth or or maybe the eightieth or something like that. So you know, to to change it then may just sort of take him out the groove, and it, it's not quite worth the 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 risk with that one. So, yeah, that's interesting. But um, yeah, like you say, if if Gabriel has got an injury, then then that is the back the back two centre backs that we'll see. There's there's not really any other choice. Um, mm. So that 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 would be a, a worry for the final, especially at. at um, St James's Park against Newcastle because that's going to be a much tougher game than we've had this evening. Um, so, yeah, that 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 doesn't fill me with confidence. Let's just hope and pray and touch wood that that Gabriel is is okay. Um, but that pretty much took us up to the the half half time points. Um, I made some notes uh, here. Arsenal dominant, Chelsea an absolute mess, and I also noticed that. Um, Obviously, Abamyang was hooked at half time. He had nine touches in the um, in his half, and four of them were from kickoffs. So similar to the reverse fixture at Stamford Bridge, um, you know, earlier in the season. So I think if you were to combine the the amount of touches he's had over over the two games, it'd probably be like eighteen or something like that. You know, it's 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 low numbers. He looked awful, didn't he? And we just—he just looked like that same Abamyang that we've seen. I, I can't even say all season because he's only started two games, and that was against us twice. Um, so I, I was really happy to see him on the, in the starting lineup and and not Havertz or not João Felix because they surely would have posed much more of a threat. I think Lampard obviously had the uh, the idea that he's got like that mov- motivational factor, something to prove, something to to get one over on Arsenal, but uh didn't work. Didn't work at Stamford Bridge, didn't work at the Emirates. Yeah, Aubameyang's finished, isn't he? Um, absolutely loved him as an Arsenal player when he played for us. He had so many great moments for us, but yeah, he is past it. He's lost his pace. He's lost his touch. Um, I can't even judge his finishing ability because he never gets the ball in those positions now because because of <laughs> how how his his pace and his movement and he just does not look on it at all. I think he had one moment where the ball was fizzed into him and it just glazed over his foot and went out for a goal kick. Now that's the sort of the sort of opportunity where when he was playing for Arsenal, he'd probably gather that and at least get a shot away. Um, but yeah, his confidence is gone, and um, pretty glad to see that he's, he's not doing well in a Chelsea shirt. And yeah, as you say, I, I would have been very worried if, if for example, Chelsea started with um, Jao Felix and Mudrick because you know we wanted Mudrick at one point. I know he's not been pulling up any trees, but I think mm. Sterling was awful. In that first yeah. half, Aubameyang was awful as well. Um, it's it, it just shocks me how Sterling even got into the Manchester City team for so many years. I know he does a lot of he's got a pretty good work rate and gets 
uh, gets the ball in good areas, but he just seems to do a lot of running and then have no end product. And mm. his final ball is just dreadful. But um, yeah, I think Ben White and Kivior really kept him quiet on that side. And yeah, Kivior made a lot of really decent interceptions that um, Ben White forced out of Sterling as well. Um, so mm. yeah, that was quite nice to see. Um, and yeah, it was sat there, 3-0 at half time. And I'm just thinking, second half... All I want is well, I want more goals. I want more pressure. I don't want us to. I, I don't want us to take a foot off the gas like we have in previous games. I don't want to see a repeat of when Liverpool were three 0 up against Spurs and then they let them back into the game to be three three. That would have been my worst nightmare. Um, and unfortunately, we kind of we well we did take a foot off the gas, so we ended up conceding, didn't we? We did, yeah. We didn't really come out with that same intensity. Um, I know that's difficult because we did have high intensity in that first half. It was that high press that was causing the mistakes at the back for Chelsea, causing them to lump it long and then enabled us to to string our passes together and, and, and work it into the final third. So it's always going to be difficult to, to maintain that. But we should have been able to maintain it to a degree. And I think we we dropped off off the gas too much and allowed Chelsea back into the game. Um, espe- yeah, like you say, especially um, when it got to the 65th minute and um, I think it was Zinchenko again, got caught sleeping like he he's done in, a, in, the, in previous games. I think in the Southampton game, he got caught sleeping at the back post for their um, headed goal from the corner. Um, I think it was Madueke who got in behind him. Um, he was probably he was just onside, and he managed to bundle in that finish past Ramsdale. Um, yeah, a frustrating one because although I wasn't necessarily worried, I was. Well, I, I'm probably lying a little bit there because I was still nervous up until maybe like the last five minutes or so. You, you, you never really know, do you? Uh, in the in the Barclays, um, so. I still had that that sort of anxiety, but um, yeah, it's it's just it's frustrating because we we just really cannot keep clean sheets, can we at the minute? Um, and it was just such a a sloppy, caught sleeping sort of goal, and and I kind of um, want to talk to a little bit about Zinchenko, um, and you tell me if I'm being harsh, but I'm starting to get a little bit worried about Zinchenko because not only has he been caught sleeping a couple of times in the last few games that's cost us goals, big goals that have, that have caused us to to drop points, you know, in Southampton game. Um, but he also misplaces a lot of passes and causes dangerous turnovers that results in big chances. And we didn't get caught out necessarily, but there was at least three in this game um, where we're working it out from the back and just a misplaced pass gifts them possession. Um, and, you know, it's only a matter of time before one of those is going to, is going to kill us. Um, and to be honest, it happens most games, most games he gets away with it, but you know, it, it's, it's a part of his game that, that frustrates me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to agree. Um, I think 
he tries to take it on. He tries to take the responsibility on himself a bit too much. Uh, I think you know he, he's kind of got that winners almost captain mentality. Even though he's not our club captain, he's one of the leaders on the pitch, and you can tell that he, he's always trying to make something happen, always trying to progress the ball. But sometimes you just need to recycle it and wait for a better better opportunity to be able to play it forward. And uh, he's, yeah, he plays with his heart and not his head sometimes, which is all I'd say about Zinchenko. Um, and it is, it's not really quite characteristic of what I would associate with Zinchenko because his technical ability, he should be able to make these passes, these five, 10 yard passes without them getting intercepted. But as you say, it started to creep into his game. And that's one thing that he's on the pitch to provide is that technical security from, from from that position. And if that's something that he's lacking, then we have to have a real conversation about if he should even be in the starting 11. Um, I noticed when Tierney came on, he was he was pretty good. Um, I know Tierney, he's been hot and cold this season, but there's a few moments where I think Gabriel was struggling a little bit and Tierney was under a bit of pressure and he just lumped it long. Now, I know that's not useful and it's not really what Arteta wants from his philosophy of the players, but sometimes you've just got to do that. You've just got to take matters into your own hands. You're, you're pressurised by a player. Instead of making a mistake, which should end up going into a goal, especially when you're 3-1 up as well, you don't want to be messing about in the back when you're 3-1 up. Just lump it long. And Tierney does that. He just takes it into his own hands. And maybe that's why Arteta doesn't pick him, because he's not following instruction, just leathering it. But yeah, yeah, I know what you mean about Zinchenko and I I think this is starting to become a bit of a problem this kind of ball over the top the diagonal ball over the top is somewhere something which Arsenal is it's becoming like a bit of a a kryptonite for this Arsenal team I noticed that it was a similar kind of move when we conceded against West Ham the Bowen goal if you remember Jared Bowen goal straight over the top um, over between our left centre half and left back that kind of area similar for the Chilwell chance that diagonal ball over the top and then obviously the Madweki goal as well so I feel like maybe this is an area where uh, teams are starting to see that we can get exposed in this diagonal ball over the top and something that we might need to react to really I think potentially because we we press so high at the pitch um, we're not prepared for that kind of ball um, it might just be a factor of that's the way that we play and that's the risk that we we have to uh, we have to uh, risk giving up that space in those areas Um but we 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 conceded. It was three one. Um, and what I wanted to see from this Arsenal team was a bit of a a response, not in terms of creating chances, but I wanted to see a response in terms of just settling down the play, getting the ball, keeping it on the ground, passing it round, and. I watched the Arsenal players and there was no sense of urgency to get the ball forward. In fact, they did exactly that. They they, they just passed it around the defence into the midfield and the back to the fence and they just kept it. I, I was actually timing it. They kept the ball for about six or seven minutes after we conceded. And I thought, this is really clever play from Arsenal, you know. Chelsea have just got a goal. 
um, making it 3-1 in the 65th minute. And then Arsenal kept the ball until like the 74th, 75th minute just to settle the game down and not really give Chelsea any sort of leg back into the game, which, you know, if usually when you concede, you, you can start to panic and there's a bit of fear in the players. And um, then they're, they're having chance after chance and knocking on the door. But yeah, it was really, really... Uh, it was what, what we would call naive normally in games previously where we've been 2-0 up and then we start to crumble. It shows that we've learned from that and we've we've uh, got the know-how now to be able to try and shore these games out. Yeah, I think you're dead right, to be fair. I think this is um, sort of the in-game management that, that's probably been worked on in the training ground um, off the back of these 2-0 leads that we're, we're letting slip. Um and yeah, it it just felt as if that they they knew once that goal had gone in, they knew what to do. They knew to to keep possession, not allow them to get any momentum whatsoever. Um, and it sort of just kills that sort of belief that they can get a foothold back into this game and, and get it to three two. So yeah, I agree with you on that one. I think that has definitely improved. What was what was disappointing was just sort of the way that we countered off the back of that, because you still have to have some sort of sort of outlet and some sort of attacking threat. Otherwise it's just relentless wave after wave after attack. And, and that's can, can end badly. Um, we just seem to, yeah, like you say, Tierney was hoofing it up, but I think he was doing that in, in the right moments uh, where he was under too much pressure. So that, I felt I agreed with his decision making there, but other times I think we could have just, you know, Ramsdale should have maybe just gone a little bit shorter, played it out. We we had we had men available. We didn't need to hoof it straight to their centre back for then another wave of attack to come back. Uh, I think there were certain elements we just didn't quite get it quite right, but it was it certainly improved from from those other games where we let leads slip. Yeah, they were definitely uh, a bit nervous, weren't they? They didn't want to concede a second because I think after the the history of the last few <laughs> games that we've ended up drawing, that would have definitely been in the back of their minds. So I can't blame them for, for wanting to go long and trying to keep the ball as far away from the goal as possible. Um, but one thing that I did notice, actually, is when Jorginho came off and Partey came on, we were noticeably weaker in that midfield area. Um and it's no real dig at Partey. I, I, well, I mean, I guess it is a little dig at Partey. Um, he's been one of our best performers this season. He's been the reason why we're in the position that we are in. And um, when he's when he's on his game, he's probably one of the best number sixes in the league. But in this game, when he came on, um, he just really dropped the quality in that midfield. Jorginho, he had been making the players tick. He'd been recycling the ball well. He'd been progressing the ball well, been assured in in his passing and he hadn't lost the ball or anything. But I think one of the first things that Partey did after he came on is he um, he lost the ball a couple of times and then he, he gave away a cheap free kick just on the edge of our box um, where Chelsea then were able to have a pretty good chance to be able to float the ball into the box, similar to the corner that we actually conceded. I think it was against Southampton, wasn't it, where it was a needless corner that we didn't have to give away and he, he ended up giving it away. And 
it's just starting to become a little bit sloppy. Um, hmm. I'm not sure if there's something wrong with him. I don't know if it's just a form thing or if there is the, the this is in his game and he was pot- potentially overperforming earlier in the season. What do you, what do you reckon to that? Yeah, I was wondering the same things, and and I can't help but try and fit the pieces together. And and, and the, by that I mean the fact that when he went on the international duty, um, I remember there being one of the physio, the, one of the Arsenal physios that travelled out there with him, and was with him throughout his stay there. And I think he even didn't play in the second fixture. Um, so he came back. He he then was very off form ever since that moment, uh, despite playing every single game. Um, And we just haven't seen him play anywhere near his normal ability since. Um, So, you know, putting two two and two together, I can't help but feel that has he got some sort of little niggle or some sort of injury that he's they're trying to manage and and play throughout. And uh, they've got to a point where they're thinking, Jorginho's got to be the better option here. Um, and yeah, I, I have to agree with you. When he came on, he just looked two gears behind everybody else. He, he was too slow and cumbersome and sloppy. And, and yeah, he gave away a, a dangerous free kick and he was only on for a matter of five, ten minutes. Uh, mm. So, you know, it, it it wasn't the sort of impact that you and the solidity that you'd expect from, from bringing someone of that calibre off the bench on. So, um, yeah, a little bit of a worry. Yeah. So, do you think that Jorginho is the better option now then? Well, based on current form, for sure. Yeah, yeah I think uh, he certainly proved that today. Um, but, yeah, it, it's not as if we're just basing Partey's performances off one or two games. It is since that international break, and that is a large clump of games. Um that we've we've not seen the normal party, um, so I think yeah. What sort of message does that send to the to the other players if we've got an underperforming player keeping his place? Um, you know, I don't think it sends a very good message. But we've got players that can come in and and potentially do better. Um, so for me, yeah, I, I think Jorginho keeps his place deservedly based off today's performance. Yeah, it would be a, a bit of a strange managerial decision to take out a player who's in good form and just keep playing players that are underperforming, but they've they've just come in and they a usual starter, so you would just keep playing them. It's the sort of thing that maybe Frank Lampard would do. Um, you know. <laughs> not, not a slight him. There was a funny moment today where I think it was Madweke who had the ball on the right hand side and he completely overhits across. It go it, it was directed into the box, but it went over all the other opponents. Not, not a single Chelsea player was anywhere near it. And he turns round and you just see Frank Lampard put two thumbs up as if to say, Well in mate, like Good going. It's, it's ludicrous. Like he's such a bad coach, such a bad manager. I don't even know how he managed to get back into the Chelsea job, and uh, it, it just baffles me. But long may that continue. Uh, and I think they're lining up to get Potch, aren't they? Which might be a bit mm. of a, a, a bit of a worry for for next season. But we don't know mm. about that just yet. I, I also saw um, 
uh, I also heard, sorry, on, on the TV, um, all of the Arsenal fans chanting, you should have signed for us to Mudrick every time he got on the ball. They were booing him and saying, you should have signed for us. I just thought that's great, a little bit of banter between, between the fans and him. <laughs> Yeah, also shining a, a green laser pen in his eye by the looks of it as well. Yeah. We were really gunning for him, weren't we? <laughs> um, but yeah, um, why not? There was there was a lot of narratives in this game, wasn't there? With the, the return of Jorginho on the flip side, we've got the Mudrick saga, we've got the Abamyang. There's all these sort of narratives flying all over the place, and it's good to see that we're on the on the good side of it. You know, with Jorginho playing well. With Mudrick only getting ten minutes, and although we, to be fair to Mudrick, I thought he looked quite dangerous coming on, and I'm, I'm quite glad that he didn't come on sooner because um, he does look electric, and 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 you can't help but wonder what would he look like in this Arsenal team. But um, you know, we've got Trossard, and and even the commentator said that he he's by far had the more impact for Arsenal as opposed to Mudrick for Chelsea. And, and no one is going to argue with that one. So um, mm. I think it, it's all worked out for the best for Arsenal. But um, yeah, I also saw uh, another interesting um, stat uh, after the game. And that's uh, now Arsenal on 78 points, which is exactly double the amount Chelsea are currently sat on. Um, so that just goes to show like... What an absolute shocker they are having. Yeah, yeah, that is, that is pretty funny to see. I, I do think the same with the Mudrick thing. I, I think he would have had a a lot more of an impact in the league if he was in the Arsenal squad rather than the Chelsea squad just because of the players that he's got around him. Um, but yeah, double, double Chelsea's points. That is crazy. And 78 points, by the way, is a massive points tally to have at this stage of the season. Um, it's a sort of points tally which would put you on course to to probably win the league in nine times out of 10, 99 out of 100 Premier League seasons over the last century or so it's only in these last few seasons the last four or five seasons where Man City and Liverpool have really raised the bar that if you're not getting over 90 94 points then you can just you can think no point you're not even going to get anywhere near the title you know they had the centurion year they had the year where they beat uh, Liverpool by one point when they had what 96 points or something crazy like that and the level uh, is so high. If you think back to when when um, Leicester won the league, I think they won it on, was it 84 points or something like that, 85 points? We're a couple of wins away from that already, and we've still got four or five games left to play. Uh, so it just shows you how, how the level has really improved. And uh, yes, we're not in the driving seat anymore to be able to win the Premier League title, but... It's super important that we keep getting these wins and keep churning out the three points so that we keep the pressure on Man City because even psychologically, if we are above them on the table, then they're going to look at every game that they have to win that game and the pressure is going to be on. Whereas if we drop points and then just basically roll over and give City the title, then what's the point? What's the point of even being up there in the first place? We've got to be there. We've got to be able to put ourselves in the position where we can just we can pounce and we can try and grab it with two hands because if City do end up losing because they are capable of losing I know they're a team that's got a Norwegian cyborg and a, a load of you know Harlem Globetrotter players um, but 
they've got a busy schedule ahead. They've got Champions League, they've got FA Cup final, and they have got some difficult games. They've got Brighton away, Brentford. Um, I wouldn't say Chelsea after seeing them today, <laughs> uh, holding out any hope of getting any points at City. But yeah, I, I think we've got to put a hat, on, hat in the ring still. And uh, fingers crossed we can maybe have an opportunity to at least have another go at the title. Yeah, and who knows? Now the pressure's off a little bit. Um, and we've just got to do what we can do and put the pressure onto City, to, you know, to a degree. Then, you know, who knows what could happen? We've got to keep fighting. Um so, yeah, it's great to see that we're back on top. I know they've got game in, games in hand, but they've got to win those games. Um, and they come thick and fast because they play tomorrow night, which is uh, Wednesday night, and also on Saturday. So that is a quick turnaround for, for their next two Premier League fixtures. Um, so by that point, the, the, the table will take in a more shape and we'll know a little bit more of where we're standing. But ultimately, they've got, you know, big pressure on their shoulders now. And, and, and like you said, they have got Harlem Globetrotter type players, so they probably will handle it quite well. But who knows? Like you say, we've, we've got a hat in the ring now. Um, and, you know, we, we've we've beat Chelsea, uh, which, you know, on paper is an easy game, but, you know, it, it's never an easy game against, a, you know, a, a club as big as Chelsea. So great that we've managed the three points there. Now we've just got to to go to, to Newcastle and, and, and mm-hmm. try and um, and get something there. And this is probably the, the toughest of uh, the remaining fixtures. So if we can do that, we put ourselves in good stead of, of, of you know, getting maximum points post-City game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, when we were in the driving seat and it was in our hands, I didn't like to look at City's fixtures at all because I, I felt like if we just focus on ourselves, don't worry about what they're doing, um, then we can glide over and get over the finish line. But now that we're in a position that we need City to drop points for us to actually be able to progress and win the Premier League, I'm starting to look at their fixtures. And on paper, their next couple of games that they've got, they've got West Ham, Leeds, and Everton. Now, on paper, those all look like bankers. They're all like pretty easy games. But if you consider West Ham, Leeds and Everton are all languishing at the bottom of the table, they're all in a relegation scrap. These teams are going to fight for their lives. They're going to put everything on the line because when it is that tight, it is so tight at the bottom. There's only about three points differentiating four or five teams down at the bottom. So even one point, against City will make all the difference for these teams. So they're going to play super negative. Two banks of five. If they can maybe hold City up to a draw, a couple of those, and we're back on level terms already. I know Mm. it might be clutching at straws a little bit, but it could happen, you know. This is football. Within two weeks, the whole complexion of the title race can change like it did for us in the first place. So, you know, it's not mm. it's not a sign, seal and delivered. It's not over. But we need to make sure that we do our part of the deal to be able to be there uh, if the opportunity arises. And that does continue when we play against Newcastle away. And that is going to be probably one of the toughest games of the season, especially with Newcastle just come into the form of their lives, really. They don't concede mm. many. They score a lot. We've just lost, potentially lost both of our uh, starting centre backs, so it could be it could be a bit of a long afternoon. But fingers crossed in that game, we can get over the line. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but look, like we were saying, if we can get points, three points, I mean, in that game, that really does put the pressure onto City. And, and you know, I didn't watch that game they played against Fulham, but from what I've read, um, it was close. You know, that it was 2-1, wasn't it, in the end? Um, but Fulham could have easily got something from that game on another day. Um, so, you know, th- there's going to be potentially harder games to come. So, yeah, we you know, we can't give up hope just yet. Um, but in order to... To make this happen, we we do need to pick up maximum points, really. So, yeah. Um, what 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 do you think is going to happen in that Newcastle game? If if I were to press you for a prediction, score prediction. Oh, uh, pressure me for prediction. Um, to be honest, I I think the boys know that anything less than a win is just unacceptable. It's just not going to quite cut it at this time of the season. So I think we're going to go hell for leather in this game. Um, and I think we probably will concede just because of the form that Newcastle are in. And if we lose Gabriel as well, we've got two centre-backs who haven't really played together properly before. Um, so I would go for a 3-1 win again. Yeah, I like that scoreline, 3-1 win. <laughs> what about you? I'll take that all day long. I think it might, because of their, they are very good at defending, to be fair. They've got um, solid bat line uh, and difficult to break down. And um, I want to be optimistic. So I'm just, I'm going to go there. I'm with a 1-0 to the Arsenal, you know, a a classic. Um, I've just, I don't know. I think it's going to be a low scoring game personally. Um, But like you said, they're on fine goal scoring form so you know that that narrative don't quite add up so i don't know that's what i'm going for let's um let's hope one of us is right um and um we can pick up three points there is there um anything else left to discuss today or have we just about covered everything not on uh, not on today's game, but there is one thing that I just think is an honourable mention. Um, after watching the Liverpool versus Spurs game yesterday, uh, which if you haven't seen it, Liverpool went into a 3-0 lead, which Spurs then equalised in the 93rd minute or so. And then Liverpool, with the last kick of the game, then ended up winning it 4-3. Now, there's an excellent piece of commentary on Twitter that's circling, and it's of one of these live watch-alongs of these two Spurs fans. And you see their misery, and you see them building up hope and building up hope where every goal goes in. Then they start dancing around when Richarlison scores, saying that, oh, he's the Brazilian, uh, you know, he's, he's come, I don't even know what the song is, but yeah, he's, he's come to North <laughs> London. He's, he's up like the Messiah and that sort of thing. Even though it's like his first goal of the season, you know, joint goal scoring with Rob Holding. Um, and <laughs> they're jumping around celebrating. And within the same breath, you just hit, see them go, oh no, who's giving their weight up? Oh, and shot has scored, and you just see all of the glee and joy drain out of both of their faces. And you see one of them showing one side of misery where he's just got his head in his hands, and the other one is just, you know, giving giving uh, loads of expletives towards the camera. So that's just one thing that <laughs> filled me with joy. And uh, when Arsenal aren't performing well, it's good to see that Spurs are performing even worse. So, yeah. And and, and, to, and today, you know, that got me ready for today. And then Arsenal are playing well again. So it's even better. <laughs> 
that Richarlison, man, he has got to be... I mean, I'm happy about it, but he has got to be the most unluckiest guy ever because he scores a goal, whips his top off, it gets disallowed early on in the season. The same thing happens again a few months later. And then he finally gets his goal that was, you know, onside. And then he whips his top off, gets booked. And then moments later, it, it, it results in, in nothing because you've lost the game. Um, it's hilarious. And, and it couldn't happen to to more of a... Well, I'm going to refrain from saying what I was going to say, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, very Spursy. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's very Spursy, isn't it? And 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 to be honest, that is exactly why we'll, we'll never do one of those watch-alongs because <laughs> um, <laughs> it will it will get recorded and then we'll never live it down. So, um, but yeah, please, the, the Spurs guys, keep doing that because they are hilarious. Okay, um... I think that's it today, uh, for today, uh, I should say. Um, so it was Arsenal 3, Chelsea 1. Arsenal back to the top of the Premier League, cruised into a 3-0 lead with Odegaard uh, with a brace and Jesus with the other other goal. Arsenal, uh, Chelsea did get one back as Mwadoeke scored his first goal for Chelsea, but um, pretty comfortable in the end for Arsenal. Um, and that's six straight losses there for Frank Lampard. Um, okay, so yeah, please join us again uh, for the next one, which is uh, Sunday uh, against Newcastle. And until then, take care. Take care. You're listening to the Arsenal Ramble. Through the storm